we're going to talk today on the book of First Corinthians. And, you know, I, I mentioned last week we were going to start a series on spiritual warfare where we're not. We're going to start that later, several months from now perhaps. The Lord just kind of led me to go in a different direction for the next few weeks. And what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is really some challenges for us as a church to become all that God intends for us to be. The truth is that as a church, we have some decisions ahead of us, some decisions before us, some things that are going to be happening in the months ahead that really we will have to decide whether or not we're okay settling or whether or not we are ready to move forward into what God desires for this church and the best that is here. We could do church like we've done church and be okay. I, tr- I truly believe that. We could be okay. We could have our worship services. We could do our discipleship programs. We could have Sunday school. We could do the children's. We could do the youth. We could have some mission trips, and we could be okay. But I really think that God is calling us to more than okay. And you've heard me say that time and time again. And the truth is that since the day I walked in here as your pastor, I've talked about the great expectations I have for this church. And the tr- I've just in the last few weeks begun to feel some puzzle pieces falling into place. Some of you out there feel it. I've had a couple of people come to me and just say how excited they are about what's taking place and going to take place and that they just feel like we're ready to go. And as I was thinking about that, I I am confident that the Lord has great plans for this church. I am confident that I can see the pieces of the puzzle falling together for us to do great things in this church. I am confident that some of you are excited about the future of this church. I'm just telling you that tonight's event is going to be a great event. You need to be here for it. Next Sunday morning is going to be an exciting time in the life of our church. As you saw in the spire, and we announced a couple of weeks ago at our business meeting, we're going to vote next week about hiring two new staff people. Now, um, just to let you know, the personnel committee has looked through a lot of things and prayed a lot, and we feel these two guys are very important to the future of this church and exactly the guys God's called us to call to this place. One's a guy from within the church that's going to come working part-time, Alan Searcy. The other is a guy that's currently working um, just the way the Lord leads. He was camp pastor for our kids for the last couple of years at Center Kid, a guy named Ryan Coatney. And Ryan is working currently at one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention doing their fifth and sixth grade uh, children's ministry. But it feels like the Lord is leading him to do more than that and feels that this church is the place God's leading him to do that. Uh, Ryan will be here next week to give his testimony, and following the service, we'll vote on them. But as I'm thinking about those two guys and the qualities that God is bringing in them, along with the staff that we've got put in place and the direction that this church is going, I get very excited. And I know that if the Lord's excited, if I'm excited, if you're excited, and that all these things are starting to come together, there's one thing for sure I know, and that is that Satan is not. And he, when he sees a church on the verge of doing some great things and senses those things happening and the momentum beginning to pick up, Satan will do everything in his power to disrupt that. 
And I'm going to tell you right now that the place that he can find easiest to attack and the easiest to bring down what God wants to do is bringing disunity to this body. You see, the age-old idea of divide and conquer is not a military strategy from the Middle Ages. It started really in the Garden of Eden and has been happening for centuries now as Satan has attempted to divide and conquer God's people. And what we have a church have to do, what we as a church have to do, is to begin to guard ourselves against the attacks and the schemes of Satan. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church on Wednesday night. There was a problem. We were talking about problems in a church. And I said, does anybody remember a church that struggled with that problem? And somebody said, Corinth. And my answer to them was, if I ever ask about any problem in any church in the New Testament, the answer is probably Corinth. Because it is a dysfunctional church. And in 1 Corinthians, what Paul is doing is he's setting the agenda for the rest of the letter. And what he wants them to understand is that they've got multitudes of problems, but it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, with saying, this is the major problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, and inform me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, just in case you missed it, just in case you didn't know, this is what I'm talking about. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas, or Peter. And another, I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? The answer there is no. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer there is no. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And the answer there is no. I just love what Paul says after this. I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you. You know, Crispus and Gaius, I, I did them and None of you can say you're baptized in my name. I'm glad about that. And he goes, oh, wait a minute. I just love Paul. Wait, I, I did baptize somebody else. There was the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't even remember who I baptized, okay? So if you think you've got allegiance to me, I don't remember if I've got allegiance to you, so don't worry about it. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the Christ be empty, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul starts with 1 Corinthians. He says, let's get to the root of all this. Here's the problem. The problem is you're divided. The first thing that we need to understand this morning is that if we're going to see God do his work in our church in a way that magnifies and glorifies him beyond what we can ask or imagine, we must first strive for unity. We must strive for unity. Now, let me just say a couple of things about what unity is not, okay? Unity is not everybody agreeing all the time. Amen? Anytime you get two people together, you're going to have differences of opinions, right? As I've said before, if two people agree on something all the time, one of them is unnecessary. Right? There are going to be differences of opinion. So unity does not mean that we always agree on everything. 
Understand that. Secondly, unity does not mean that we all look, drink, think, eat, talk alike. Right? We have different preferences. Here's another thing. Unity doesn't mean that we all like the same kind of music. And all of God's people said, Amen. Because if we did, well, that's just not going to happen, all right? Unity does not mean that there's not diversity. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about diversity and gifts because we're going to talk about how we use those to make the church grow and to use the gifts that God has given us to see His glory revealed. But the truth is, Scripture says over and over again that we are all different, but unity comes in the magnifying of Christ and our purpose of telling people about Him. Paul gets to the end of that, doesn't he? He says, listen, I don't know about all this stuff. I don't remember who I baptized. But the reason I came was to preach Christ. That's it. And what we have to remember as a church, that we must strive for unity. And unity there does not mean we all agree on everything all the time. So why is unity so important? First of all, unity is important because Jesus prayed for it. I've always found it amazing. On the night that Jesus was getting ready to be crucified, in John 17, he's sitting there praying, and one of the things he prays for is for you and for me and our church and Christians to be unified. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that if Jesus spent some of his last words on earth talking to the Father about unity in the church and unity in his followers, then unity is probably pretty important. Amen? It is. And so it's important because Jesus prayed for it. Here's the second thing. Paul wrote about it constantly. I mean, he tells us here in 1 Corinthians that we are to, that they're supposed to be unified. In 2 Corinthians, he comes back. And in 2 Corinthians... They're not unified, and so he tells them again, try to be of one mind. In Philippians, he says, I hope that when I come to you, or if I don't come, I at least hear from you, that you're of one mind together. In Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, right before he does the whole thing about Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider his godliness or his godly quality something to be held on to, but he sacrificed himself, all right? And before that, he says, if you have any joy, if you want to make my joy complete, then be like-minded. Think more highly of others than you do of yourself. Treat other people better than you are treating yourself. Over and over and over again, Paul says, be unified. Here's the thing. Do you think if Paul's having to say it over and over again, then unity was a problem in the early church? The answer there is yes. It was. So first of all, take heart. We're not the first ones that have ever had this problem. Every church that has ever existed at some point has had problems with unity. They just have. But that doesn't mean we don't keep working for it. And here's the reason. Jesus prayed for it. Paul commands it. And here's the thing. You can't get any traction without it. I know that traction in the real biblical word. It's not in the Bible. But you know what I mean by that, don't you? That, that it takes something to get going. I, uh, I have a pretty steep hill in my backyard. And last year we moved into the house and the summer came and the grass started to grow. And uh, 
I decided I was going to go mow the yard, and I had a push mower somebody had given me, and I was out there, and I was getting ready to push it, and I found out going down the hill is pretty easy, right? Just kind of hold on and let it go. But going up the hill, not so fun, all right? So I tried to think of everything possible I could to go sideways, to go diagonally, to do something, but the truth is I had to go uphill. And what I found is that the farther uphill I got and the more I did it, the harder it became. As a church, when there's disunity, it's like you're mowing a yard uphill. You're constantly trying to get your footing. You're pushing, and it just seems like everything takes effort. And when you get to the top of the hill, you're spent. On the other hand, when a church gets aligned, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a minute, unified together, it's like putting your hands on it at the top of the hill and just following it down, allowing the Lord to work through you. We've got to be unified because Jesus prayed for it, Paul commanded it, and because we can't get traction without it. But here's the second thing. We need to understand it is elusive. I mean, Paul is telling this to the church here, and he says that it is elusive. I appeal in the name that you all agree with one another so there may be no divisions. In another passage, he says that in Ephesians, we are to make every effort possible to be unified. Every effort. It makes you understand that this is hard work. I read a quote this week that I thought was just appropriate, and it said this, that one of the reasons unity is so hard is because it takes years to build and moments to destroy. Isn't that true? It takes years to build and moments to destroy. Some of you may have been in a relationship that went bad and you've spent months or years trying to rebuild it. And then one action causes it to crumble again. Here's the way I like to compare it. Unity in a congregation is kind of like trust in marriage. That you cannot, in a marriage, survive without trusting one another. Amen? I mean, you have to believe that everything that your partner says is true. You, you just have to. And so, in order for marriages to be thriving and successful, trust has to be there. But, when someone breaks that trust, it's not a quick fix. Amen? It's just not. Unity in the church is like trust in a marriage. It is vital. We cannot live and exist and go forward into what God wants us to do without unity among us. But I also realize, and one of the things I pray about on a constant basis, is I realize that any day now something could happen that would disrupt the unity and we have lost years of moving forward with the Lord. Unity is elusive. One of the reasons is there are all kinds of things that can cause disunity. First of all, there's heretics. Now, I know that that's one of those words that gets thrown around so that nobody even knows what that means anymore. But heretics are people that teach things contrary to God's truth. 
And I have seen instances in churches where somebody comes in and before long they are taking the church in a different direction, not a leadership, but through Sunday school or through this Bible study or that Bible study. And before long you've got this group of people that aren't quite believing what this group of people are believing and you've got doctrinal issues in there and it causes problems. The biggest one probably is just simply pride. You realize that unity will sometimes require you to compromise, right? Right? You didn't seem like you were real excited about that one. But it will. For unity to exist, sometimes sides had to come. And what I've seen oftentimes is, sometimes in churches even, or especially, people get dug into an argument or a side or a position, and even though they see the full understanding of God telling them to go in a different direction, they are so dug in on what they believe that they're not moving. Legalism can destroy the unity in a church. I read something this week that said legalists are people that like to make the rules, or at least they're like to be the people that make the rules to tell who can make the rules, or at least they like to be the people that could interpret the rules for the people that were supposed to make the rules about the people that are going to make the rules. I read something this week. Daniel Aiken, who is uh, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a great man, great communicator of God's Word. He, in his chapel message uh, recently, said that he was putting up 12 thoughts that if we as a Southern Baptist Convention are going to move forward as a convention in preaching the gospel of Jesus, these 12 things have to take place. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but for many, many years, the Southern Baptist Convention was one of the only ones that had never seen a decline. In the last two years, we've declined. And so one of, he went through all of this stuff, talking about it, and he got to one and he said, we have got to make it easier to do ministry. He said that sometimes getting something done in a Southern Baptist church is harder than getting a bill through Congress. Sometimes getting things done in a Southern Baptist church is harder than getting a bill through Congress. Amen. All right, here we go. We've organized ourselves to the point that we got rules about the rules that tell us about the rules. And that's not just this church, it's any church. But the truth is, when we get ready to do something as a church, I have about three people read the Constitution and bylaws just to make sure we're not doing something we're not supposed to be doing. You've got to understand that, that that kind of stuff can lead to disunity. Here's how it leads to that. There's a group of you that want that Constitution and bylaws followed to AT, and it needs to be. It's our governing documents. There are some of you that say, Constitution and bylaws, what's that? You don't care. And when this group doesn't like what's going on in this group, you can, anyways, you got it. Heretics, pride, legalism, distrust, leadership issues there. I mean, that's what's happening here in 1 Corinthians, right? They're saying, hey, I'm, I'm following Paul. No, I'm following Apollos. No, I'm following Cephas. No, I'm following Christ. And they're all saying their own thing, and they're going after their own groups, and they've got their, their things going on. But eventually, the one group distrusts the other, and that can cause disunity. Kind of along that line is doing too much. Listen, one of the things I love about this church is that we have got tons of stuff going on. We just do. we got stuff 
going on all the time in all kinds of places. I just know in the next few months, within the next year, there are mission trips planned to uh, Lynch, Kentucky, to Hannibal, Missouri. There's mission talk about building some things around here. There's uh, the Help Center dinners that we'll do. There's uh, a mission trip to Brazil this summer and to Chile coming up in the next year as well. So you've got stuff going on all over the place. That's not to mention the ministries that we've got going. They're just centered around here. And part of the problem is when you're doing too much stuff, sometimes you lose focus on the reason you're doing the stuff. And when you lose focus on the reason you're doing the stuff, then suddenly the stuff becomes more important than the reason you're doing the stuff. All right? I know that was real complicated seminary language there, all right? But it's true. And so this group suddenly has their pet ministry project that is theirs. And everything can happen in the church vine until somebody does something that somehow interferes with this special ministry project. Well, the problem is when you've got 40 of those special ministry projects, something's going to interfere with each other. And it causes disunity. Traditionalism can lead to disunity. Traditions aren't bad. It's when you replace biblical mandates with man-made tradition that it becomes traditionalism. And then just losing sight of why we're here. The truth is that most churches go through an identity crisis every few months, every couple of years, when they have to remind themselves that we are the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We're not here for us. We're not. When you're going towards a goal, then suddenly you rally. So we've got to understand that unity is vital. We've got to understand that it is elusive. But here's the third thing. We've got to understand that unity is established through love. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 13 that it doesn't matter if you've got all this stuff going on. If you don't have love, it's worthless. And the truth is that as Believers and followers of Jesus, that as a church, we must be established in loving. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to love God. Let me tell you, the best way that you can ensure unity in any group is for every person in that group to be passionate about their pursuit of their Lord. A.W. Tozer, great pastor from the 20th century, said that the reason... That unity is so difficult is because our people aren't seeking the Lord. And he said this, 100 pianos tuned to the same tuning fork will all be tuned to one another. I don't know a lot about music, but I understand that, okay? And what he's saying is, if 100 of us are all tuned to the same tuning fork, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we're all tuned to one another. We've got to love God. But here's the big thing. We've got to love one another. Most of you know that in the New Testament there are several words used for love. But in 1 John when it says that we must love one another, the word used for love there is agape. That's unconditional, without emotion necessarily, love. Let me tell you how we're going to love one another, how this church is going to be unified. It's if we're going to love one another. I want you to do this. I want you to look around you now. Look across the aisle, look behind you, look in front of you, look to the side, okay? This church will be unified when you start to love one another. Now, what that's going to mean is it's going to make you uncomfortable, okay? It's going to make you uncomfortable. 
that I'm about to make you real uncomfortable right now. All right? How many of you truly believe that God wants to do great things in this church? Amen? All right. If you can raise your hand, amen, it don't matter. I'm just glad we got both going on in a Baptist church. All right? How many of you want to be a part of seeing God doing something great in this church? Amen? Yeah, good. Or clapping. Look at that. It's kind of like one of those songs you sing in the children. You're going to add something each time, right? How many of you are willing to do your part in bringing unity to this body to see the Lord move in this place? Amen? All right, that's what I want you to do. I want you to gather up your stuff. Right now, gather it up. We're not done. No, don't worry, we're not done. Just get your stuff together. Some of you are acting like you got to get it from all over. You've been taking notes. It's all sitting in your lap already, I know. All right? This is your assignment in the next three minutes. You're going to change seats. Here are the rules. Here are the rules. You cannot sit in the same section in which you are sitting now. Rule number two. You cannot sit in the same area. In other words, if you're on my left front, you can't sit center front, okay? You've got to move across this place. Third rule, you can't be sitting next to the person you're sitting next to outside of family units, okay? Husband and wife, you can move together. I'm not going to put you asunder, okay? Families can move together. But you don't need to be sitting next to the people you're sitting next to now. Fourth rule, youth. You cannot plot right now where you're going, all right? (laughs) Including texting, sorry. All right? Nobody leaves. That's the fifth rule. I'm watching the door. Cliff, the bouncer, is at the door. (laughs) All right? Move. All right. Now, I don't know that I can continue preaching because my normal face recognition is not on. Here's the question. Has anything fundamentally changed about our church in the last three minutes? No, but for many of you, you are seeing church from a different perspective than you've ever seen. And you're sitting next to people that you normally wouldn't sit next to. I don't think that unity means that you've got to be the best friend of everybody in the, in the congregation. But it does mean that we genuinely care about everybody that's here. Now, the way that we do that is twofold. First of all, we celebrate together in worship. That's why worship is so important. We celebrate together. Now, we, we are probably in the fall, going to two different services. And sometimes when you say that, people say, well, how can you be unified in two different services? We will make opportunities to all worship together at different times. Okay? But when you're together, whatever group you're in, wherever you are celebrating together, you celebrate together. That's why worship wars or grumbling about worship is so divisive. Because it's the only place that everybody comes together. Now, the truth is, if it's the place where everybody comes together, it's the place we're going to have to compromise the most. Right? It is. 
There are more people. There are more ideas. There are more thoughts. And we're trying to reach out to people that aren't in this room. And so that means we ought to be thinking about that. doesn't mean we tailor it because the worship of God is centered on God and nobody else. But we ought to be thinking about how people outside these walls would be impacted when they came into this place. So we as a congregation ought to compromise our beliefs and our thoughts for what could impact a community. Now, I'm not saying you compromise our belief in God or the essentials. But I do mean those traditional ideas that we like. We celebrate together in worship. The second thing is we care about each other in small groups. There is no way we can all take care of each other. What I mean by that is this is not the place to meet people's needs. The Lord ultimately will meet people's needs, but the best place to care for each other is in small groups. If you are not involved in small group ministry, Sunday school ministry here, you need to get involved. That's the only place you're going to take care of each other. And that's part of what we're responsible for doing. Let me tell you some ways that you can encourage one another. Some ways that as a congregation we can encourage each other. First of all, we need to spend time telling people how we feel. Write it down. Send an email. Write a text. Do something that can show people how you feel. We have all ranges in this room. We've got people that have never written a handwritten letter in their lives. And we've got some that that's all they write. We've got some that are that text 200, 300, 400 times today. And we've got some that don't even know what I'm talking about when I say text. The truth is, what's important is that we find a way to let each other know how we feel. Write it down. We all need encouragement. I saw the story this week of Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln, as you know, is considered the greatest or one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. But what you probably don't know is while he was president, they did not think of him as the greatest president we ever had. And he received lots of criticism. You all know, I assume, that Lincoln was killed, assassinated at a theater. And there's a museum that has the contents of his pocket from that night. And in his pocket that night was a handkerchief embroidered with A. Lincoln, a small knife, a glasses case, pouch with $5 in it, and a newspaper clipping of a story written by a columnist that called Lincoln one of the greatest men of all time. And what somebody has said is, in the midst of all that was going wrong, Lincoln took hold of that encouragement. We need to encourage one another. In your small group, in your Sunday school class, you need to encourage one another. Because it is a world that will beat you down if you don't. And then we need to make sure that we reconcile when it's necessary. Paul was telling this group at 1 Corinthians, listen, I don't know what the divisions are all about. I've heard they're about different people. I don't care. Come together. And what we need to covet together Now, we're going to covenant together and say that whenever issues arise that begin to divide, 
we will do whatever necessary to reconcile. Now, let me tell you, that doesn't mean you're going to do whatever necessary to win the argument. You're not going to do whatever necessary to see that your side wins. It means we do whatever necessary to reconcile for the glory of God and the sake of Christ. Unity is vital to what we're trying to do here. And we've got to realize it's worth striving for. It's very difficult, but it begins with love. This morning, perhaps, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And as we're singing about the Lamb of God, you realize that your commitment level to the Lord is not where it's been. And the truth is, as a congregation, our unity will never be stronger than our commitment to the Lord. And this morning, you need to make a new commitment to Him. Maybe it's a first-time commitment. You've never accepted the Lord, and this morning you want to do that. Perhaps this morning you've got somebody in this group, and you don't need to go. You don't need to come down here and tell me. You need to go to them. Perhaps now, perhaps this afternoon, in some way, you need to do all that you can to reconcile. Perhaps this morning you realize that you've been kind of holding back, waiting and seeing whether or not things are going to start happening. And it's time just to tell the Lord, you're on board and ready to go. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. and I don't know what the Lord may be leading you to do, but I would encourage you in this, is to spend the time that we're about to spend in prayer and in invitation asking the Lord about your part in building unity in this place.